This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am Shane Waters from the podcast Out of the Shadows. And I'm Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. Damn, Justin, did you hear how proper and serious Shane was? I guess when you're a guest on Nancy Grace and have 1,800 people listening to you at CrimeCon, you get real serious. Okay, Shane, I need you to tell the people why we're doing this commercial, but I need it just as serious as your introduction. You can see all three of our shows live in Indianapolis on Saturday, July 28th. All right, Justin, tell them what time to be there and where they can get tickets. Showtime is 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., and the cost is only $10. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now. Contact any of our shows on social media to buy tickets. And guys, your ticket gets you unlimited access to all the shows involved. Come out, take as many pictures as you want, and don't forget your free hugs. Hey guys, and welcome back to Hillbilly Horror Stories, episode 103. I'm Jerry, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Tracy. We're in our matching Mothman shirts. We are. They're not really matching. They're both Mothman shirts, but they're different colors. And different. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hope y'all had a great weekend. Ours was they are a- the same shirt. Yeah, they're the same. We're just different colors. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'd no, that's you. okay. I was just saying how we had a very eventful weekend, and... We're really exhausted. At least I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted, too. So we had a wedding that I was presiding over for my oldest son, and then Tracy's son had a baby. Yay! So grandchild number 67 or something like that no. for us now. But it's his first, and it's, oh my gosh. Of course, he's adorable, and welcome to this crazy world, J.D. Yep, Love you, ya. Now you have J.D. as a... Boss and JD as a grandson. I know. I think I'll call him James. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter what country you're in. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much, guys. We love you and pray for you still, and thank you for keeping us safe. Special prayers go out this week to the um, the families of the duck boat tragedy in Branson, Missouri. Yeah, that's Seventeen just people gone just like that. I know, and nine of them it was one family. I think that's correct. Yeah, exactly. yeah that's crazy. Absolutely horrible. Do do do. We had some cool stuff going on. Don't want to gloss over that, but. We mentioned the military, and uh, we've got uh, Tim Mullins, who is in charge of our website now and our YouTube page. He's mm-hmm. done a fantastic job on both of those. Oh, well, he sure has. And the new addition that we've done to our website is we've added a wall of heroes. And basically, it's if you're a civil servant, if you're in the military, send us a picture. And, yeah, and what branch you're in or whether you're an EMT or a nurse or whatever the profession you're in that fits that category Send us an, an email with that on there, and uh, we will put you up on the wall. But if you haven't seen it yet, just go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com, and you can check it out. It's pretty cool. We've got about six of them up there right now. Yay. One of which is Tracy's son, who just mm-hmm. had the baby. Yeah. Because he's a uh, proud Marine. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Josh. And thank you, Tim, for keeping it updated. Oh, my he gosh. Has worked you... to tell... it's... If you haven't been to the website in the last week, it is 100% different. Yeah, There's it is. nothing the same about it. It's a complete overall. It's awesome. The YouTube page is pretty cool, even though uh, we got some copyright infringement uh, emails sent today about some of the... Oh, we did? From some of the music that gets played on, on oh, some of the old ones, which is why we quit. I didn't even quit. know that. That's why we quit doing the music. Well, it's, it's not we're in trouble with or anything. They just sent it and said, hey, just making you aware, so we'll go through and edit all that out. Okay. And, Make it better. Leave uh, us alone. Gosh. Yeah, no kidding. Be, uh, before we get too far in 
into it. I want to remind everybody that if you're going through a tough time, you're having some struggles, life gets you down. Just remember there's somebody out there who is willing to lend a hand, somebody who is willing to talk to you, somebody who is going to help you in your time of need. It can be any one of us. Come to our Facebook group, Hillbilly Horror Stories. I think you'll find that that's a very supportive group. Most people will tell you that everything goes on there. It's not just paranormal. It's some fun. It's some jokes. It's it's just everybody just being friends with each other. And it's we need that in this time in, our, in this world. Number for suicide prevention here in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. If you're more of a texter, don't really want to talk to somebody uh, over the phone, 741-741 will put you in touch with who you need to talk to. Just don't be ashamed. If you feel like you're having a tough time, reach out. And also while we're talking about the group, our moderator on the group, John Jocelyn, I put up a poll if you haven't seen it yet in the group about doing some tarot card readings. So mm. if that's something you're interested in, he's willing to do it. I wanted to put a poll up and that way if anybody was freaked out by that sort of thing or something, which tarot cards are not like Ouija boards or something. So it's a, it is a different ball game. So it's mm-hmm. just more or less or like horoscope reading and stuff like that as far as, you know, my knowledge of it goes anyway. So but I, he wants to start doing it. And I told him, let's put it to a vote. So if that's something you want to do, let's vote on it. And if it's something you don't want to do, let us know. And we'll. Let the majority rule on it. Okay. Natasha, we talked about the new website. Natasha is doing a blog. Mm-hmm. She's already got the first episode up. It was basically how we got started. Yeah, I saw the that. Podcast. You did a great job. So if you haven't been to the website, go to the website. That You can go to our store. You can buy tickets to the live events. Wow, sounds great. And guess what? There's three live events up there now. Because we already know about the one coming up this coming Saturday. 18 tickets are left in Indianapolis. If you want to come, you better get them. We're not selling tickets at the door. We're not able to. So you have to get your tickets in advance. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and snag those. You can go right to our website and get them now. You couldn't do that before. That's part of the changes Tim made. Then you've got October uh, 20th in Nashville, Tennessee. Us, Graveyard Tales, EVP Mediums, and Macabre Melts. That show is up there. And then the one we just added, and <laughs> this is amazing how quick tickets are already going, October 27th is the Brohio Twisted Hillbilly Halloween Show. I love that name. I thought it was pretty cool. It just rolls right off. (laughs) But we're doing that. And why is it the Twisted? Because we added Twisted Philly, which we didn't talk about last week because we didn't have that set. We knew we were doing a show. Now everything is confirmed. If you went to the Cincinnati show before, it's the same place. It's going to be at that same Roosters. 55 tickets available. And here's what's amazing. We put them on sale yesterday. We already sold 11 of the 55 tickets Mm -hmm. that quick. That's great. So jump on them. They'll be there uh, for a short time, and then uh, that that one's probably going to sell out pretty quick, though. All right, so we have a new sponsor tonight. Yes. And I like all of our sponsors. I love all our sponsors. We don't don't sponsor anything, guys, unless we are 100% behind it. We get opportunities and turn stuff down, which some people may not believe. But if we're not behind it, we're not going to do it. And I don't know if I've ever been more excited about a product than this one. Simple contacts. Here's my problem, and this is where they come into play. I have contacts, Mm -hmm. and I'm not the best about going to the the eye doctor. Absolutely truth. (laughs) So, you know, when you go to the eye doctor, you got to every year you had to get a new prescription. Yeah. And I wear contacts. I don't wear glasses. I've got a set of glasses, but I just I just don't wear them. I don't mm-hmm. like them. So when my contacts, if the prescription expires after a year, and I try to go get more contacts, I can't get them. Mm-hmm. They won't allow me to. Got to get go for another exam. And then when I go for the exam, even with my insurance, I'm spending seventy bucks for the exam, and then spending you know the money for the contacts and all that stuff. So it and without insurance, because sometimes we don't have any insurance. We just recently got that. I was spending like two hundred bucks. Oh yeah, to go to the eye doctor, and then you got to wait and do all that. You know how much time it took to go there, and then I hate those eye tests. They, I hate the poof in your eye, yeah. that air poof. Oh well, my gosh! I mean, they have to do it, but I understand. Oh that. yeah, I know, but it's the anticipation of them getting ready to do it. So with simple contacts, though, you do everything online. You literally take an eye exam online. Dude, it is so cool, too. Now, keep in mind, this isn't a replacement for Mm -hmm. an actual eye exam that you have to have done. But if you're wearing contacts and your contact is still good, that's my thing. My prescription hadn't changed Mm -hmm. in four years. 
So if, if if I'm seeing perfect out of my contacts, why do I need to go to the doctor and get a brand new prescription for the exact same, same contacts? Contact. I agree with you. That's where simple. That's where these simple contacts come in. So what you do is you log on to the website. They're going to prompt you. It's like a five minute eye exam, and mm-hmm. they prompt you as to what to do. And it's like you just really need ten feet because it's going to it it looks at you. And it tells you when you're 10 feet away because mm-hmm. it, it does this thing where you put your face in and it calibrates it and everything. And then they use that to be able to judge distances. It's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't is. believe at first I was like, how is this going to work? But doctors are behind this. Doctors look at all this stuff. So you take a picture of your eyes from up close looking in every direction and they're going to check the redness of your eye to make sure you don't have an issue there. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to take the, you know, step back 10 feet and you're going to take the, an actual eye exam. They cover the, this eye and read out loud and it's listening to you. So you have to say it out loud and then, you know, cover the other eye. Now, you know, uncover both eyes and read this line. Mm-hmm. And what they do basically is ship these videos to the doctor. They review them. I mean, they reviewed mine in like five minutes. I know. It was very quick. They review them. And as long as your eyes look good, as far as the redness, and as long as... You know, you can read what they mm-hmm. said we were reading, and that means your prescription is still good. They just write you another prescription and send you to contacts. I know. It's so great. So, I mean, my prescription is expired. It expired about two months ago. Mm-hmm. I needed new contacts. The best part, the eye exam's 20 bucks. Yeah. I mean, you bucks. cannot beat that. We did it in five minutes. So, you take the eye exam. You just put in what's on their contact box as far as what your current prescription is, as long as... The doctor looks at the video, makes sure that you're still the right prescription, and then lo and behold, you got uh, your contacts being shipped out to you. And you guys can do it too. Mm-hmm. So if you're like me, there's always some type of event or something. I had a wedding to do, and I couldn't read, so I had to get my contacts so I could actually read my iPad. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, but I was in that dilemma because I was expired, so I was going to set an eye exam. I didn't have time for that. Yeah. I travel a lot. So here's how you guys can save some money. We're going to save you $20 off of your first order of contacts. I want you to go to simplecontacts.com slash hillbilly. Or you can just go in at checkout when they ask for the promo code, put in hillbilly. Mm-hmm. That's all you need, and you can start saving some money right away. But I, I do want to make sure we're clear. This is not a replacement for a periodic full exam. Yeah, you got to. You still got to do that on occasion because things will change. But if you need contacts right now and you just got an expired and mm-hmm. you know you can see good, this is perfect. It does not get anywhere, right? No wonder it's simple contacts because it really is simple contacts. Yeah. Great. I mean, it's a great title for it. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for uh, go give these guys a chance. I'm like I said, I'm super excited about it, and I can't see uh, <laughs> me going to the doctor near as often as I used yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, very convenient. All right. We're going to do Patreon and uh, reviews right after we get finished with our story. But I do want to mention we've got a special guest on a little bit later. Uh, some of you remember about a year ago, Nick Hall mm-hmm. lost his uh, daughter tragically in a car accident. And uh, he came on and we did a little tribute to her. And then he came on, talked to us for a little bit. He wanted to come back on and kind of give an update as we approach the year anniversary, which is this coming Friday. It's hard to believe. So now, Nick, uh, we did a little interview, and uh, that'll be on. But in between that interview and uh, the story, we'll do the Patreon and the reviews. Okay. Love you, Nick. This week's story, another one of the big ones out there. We try to stay away from some of these because it's been done to death. Uh, but people keep asking, so what are you going to do? You right. Do them well, right. just do it. Fine, I will. Dang it. Dang. Dang. Come get some help. <laughs> no. That's that horrible. My Wasn't that God. terrible? Trans, Sorry. <laughs> Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I feel like it's where I need to be right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is back to back stories from West Virginia. And yeah. It, it almost seems like three weeks in a row because three weeks ago we went to West Virginia. We didn't do a story on West Virginia. So we went to West Virginia, did a story last week on West Virginia, and this week we're back again. So your state, if you live there, have has definitely had an impact on us. But this one's in Weston, West Virginia, and the the original name was Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. That's not us trying to be politically incorrect mm-hmm. or... Because every time we do one of these where you use an old-time name like mm-hmm. Lunatic Asylum, 
people are always like, well, I can't believe you're, we're not making fun of people. That's what the name was. Yeah. That's history. You know, I can't change what history was. Yeah. So anyways. So move on. Yeah, that's right. That's what we're doing. So construction began in 1958 and it was done so with prison labor. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot in yeah. these state institutions. Now, if you remember when we did last week's story on the prison, we talked about West Virginia seceded from Virginia and they didn't have mm-hmm. any resources, so they had to get on the ball and build prisons and schools. And yeah. this was one of those things that were done roughly the same time. And did I mention that this was, and I still believe is accurate, the largest hand cut stone building in the United States? Oh, dang. Yeah, it was pretty big. And apparently it was all hand cut. I wonder how long it took to do that. Well, I'll tell you. Oh, well, good. I'm glad you know. <laughs> well, they started. So they started building in 1858. Like I said, it was all done with prison labor. This hospital was built according to what is commonly known as the Kirkbride Plan. Mm-hmm. Now, this was named after a Philadelphia psychiatrist named Thomas Story Kirkbride. It's kind of a cool name. Mm-hmm. I want to have a middle name like Story. Yeah. J- Jerry Story Polly. <laughs> I don't know. Don't flow as good. So that's what they called me back in high school. Is that right? No. That's what I thought. So anyways, this guy, he was the first doctor in the United States that recognized that mental illness was a disease, basically, and it could be, I guess, treated and and potentially be cured. And nobody had that approach before him. Uh So he felt that people were affected by mental illness could also still enjoy things in life that everybody else enjoys. You know, they could they could read a book or they could uh, intellectually be stimulated and they could have the physical comforts Mm -hmm. of everybody else. Where a lot of people before treated them like outcasts. Yeah, that's terrible to do that. His plan was to build a facility. And create an environment where these patients could benefit from architectural design, mm-hmm. as well as being treated with dignity, compassion, and respect. Good. That's the way it needs to be. And you said respect. Fair enough. Thanks for calling me out. I meant respect. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is going to be quite the task to get through with all this story tonight. <laughs> I, I can already see. Uh, I love you, though. Yeah, whatever. Mm. So the building design itself would have long staggered wings, not like a bat, just like wings of a of a hospital. So it's got long staggered wings that gave the rooms access to light and fresh air. Good. So that's the plan. So these are like when you'll see pictures of it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But they're not real it's not your standard building. It's like long skinny hallways with just some rooms and uh-huh. then you could get light and air from both directions. Okay. So they it wouldn't all close in like Perfect. some buildings. As we said earlier, construction started in 1858. The first patients came in in 1864, but it wasn't completed until 1881. Oh, my gosh. No way. So it was a very long time. Yeah. Now, why was it take so long? Well, the first part of it is when you figure it started in 1858 but didn't have the first patients until 1864, it's because the Civil War interrupted it. Oh. <laughs> that would do it. It's also important to note that by the time that the hospital actually opened up and had patients, it had changed its name from the horrible name that it was to the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. Not much better. Oh, well, that's better. <laughs> but it was it was better. And this 160-year-old facility has had a fascinating story ranging from the bad, which mm-hmm. would be Civil War uh, raids that, that, had, that we'll get into in a little bit, a gold robbery that we'll also get into in a little bit. And then you've had the good stuff, like the fact that there were people who actually wanted to help and the mentally ill patients that so many others had just given up on. Well, thank heavens for them. Speaking of the Civil War and uh, the gold robbery, so here's what happened. West Virginia, of course, seceded from Virginia. We talked about that. In June of 1861, West Virginia seceded from Virginia, like we talked about last week, so they had to have all these facilities built. On June 30th, 1861, the 7th Ohio Infantry, led by Colonel Erastus Bernard Tyler, came to town, and they decided what they were supposed to be doing was rounding up what they called uh, Confederate, uh, what did they call them, sympathizers. Oh. That's so a- it's just people that were 
pretty much siding with the Confederate. That's what they said they were doing. They were coming in, but turns out that's not really what they were in town for. They were there to steal $27,000 worth of gold coins, oh. which in the 1860s, that was worth about $500,000. Nice. So they came in to, to do that. They were stored at the West Virginia branch of the um, Exchange Bank of Virginia. So they go into the bank, demanded this money. Well, that money was actually for the construction mm-hmm. of the uh, insane asylum. Oh, yeah. So that money was at the terrible. bank, and that was what it was there for. So they come in there and took it. People, I swear, get a job. Now I found this a bit odd. So the banker, a guy named uh, Robert McLandish, he tried to talk to a Captain List. That's the guy that was in charge of trying mm-hmm. to come in and take all the money. He tried to talk him out of taking the money. So you imagine that's probably not going to happen. You usually mm-hmm. can't bargain with somebody that's trying to rob your bank, one way, shape, or form. But what I thought was pretty cool was he was able to talk him into leaving $2,371.23 because that's what was already owed to creditors. Oh. So the guy left him enough to pay the bill, so I guess whoever they owed money to wouldn't, wouldn't be behind. Oh, that's so, that the weirdest thing I've heard. That's what I thought. I thought it was kind of cool. But that was kind of cool, yeah. And then the rest was actually sent up to well, um, Wheeling, West Virginia, and they were using that to... Use that money to start the administration of the mm-hmm. new state. So the state was the one taking it from them. Yeah. So I was like, this makes no sense whatsoever. But that is really weird. That is really weird. I guess the robber was kind of nice in a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the seventh Ohio, they took uh, <laughs> took up staying in the asylum, even though it wouldn't finish building yet. They only had part of it built, so they kind of took it over there, and then they used. Uh, some of it as their barracks, and then they used the uh, the main foundation to stable the horses. As we said earlier, construction continued all the way up to 1881, and when the construction was completed, it covered 666 acres. Ooh, couldn't they had one more acre? What was up with that? <laughs> I think I think that may have been a sign to come. Sounds like the hospital was initially built to hold 250 patients. By 1880, they already had 717. By 1938, they had 1,400. A report issued by a group of medical experts said that the population included alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educated mental defectives. Well, that's terrible. (laughs) I mean, golly. They definitely had a different opinion of how of people. Boy, should back did, in didn't that they time. really? I mean, that's so weird. The hospital hit its peak in the in the 1950s. The hospital had 2,600. Patients. The facility, now known as the Weston State Hospital, that's a little better. Yeah. Had 10 times the amount that it was meant to hold. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to tell you what happens when you get severe overcrowding at a prison or a hospital. Mm -hmm. There's not enough food. Well, they had enough enough food, but they typically don't have enough staff. Oh my gosh, seriously not. You end up with horrible. Uh, substandard conditions, which is what happened here. Oh, that's sad. In 1949, the Charleston Gazette had a series of reports that shed light on the lack of furniture, light, and heat, and very poor sanitation. (gasps) See, they didn't deserve that. By the 1980s, the population had decreased, but the mistreatment of the patients had not decreased. Oh. Patients who could not be controlled were locked into cages. Now, see... That reminds me of uh, <laughs> something about Mary when, um, what's his name, Matt Damon. Dillon was Dillon, I mean. Matt Dillon was trying to impress uh, Mary, and he was mm-hmm. talking about, he said he worked at that place, and they kept them in cages, but they'd let them out sometimes and let them get some air and stuff, and he thought he was saying something smart. And yeah. Like Duh. the most repulsive thing ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the hospital was shut down in 1994. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So, this is the, I say fun part, but it's not really fun, I don't guess. I don't see how anything fun can come out of this. What would have made you a patient at this hospital? Symptoms, symptoms and causes of insanity were wide, diverse, and in some cases, completely subjective. There were legitimate patients here that had legitimate problems, but in the 1800s, a family member, usually the man of the, the family, 
could have a spouse or children committed with virtually no supporting evidence. Now, see, that's stupid on those other people's part. That's why they were so overcrowded. Well, this is the way it was history-wise back in this day. People in society worked from a completely different set of, I guess, what our definition of normal is today. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if it was today, back then? You know what I'm saying? With them saying they could say anything or do anything and put you there? Oh, yeah. Well, they wouldn't be able to do it back then. That's progressive, you know, progressing in history to learn, you know, what's right and what's wrong. So it was male-dominated. Women were thought of as the weaker and softer sex. Bitches. uh, Which. (laughs) Not true. And they were treated that way, unfortunately. Shame on them, men. Therefore, all it took was an angry husband or a father to commit you. Where do you see some of these things? I can't wait to read some of these things. If a husband wanted to have an affair with another woman, he'd just drop his wife off and be done with her for a little bit. He'd make up some kind of a symptom that basically was just a lie and dispose of her for a month, a few months, a few years, or even a lifetime. So they could go in and get him out whenever they wanted. Pretty much. Basically. Mm-hmm. What a bunch of mofos. Now, you had situations like autism and Down syndrome that parents didn't really know how to handle or deal with back then. So you might be able to understand how a parent could feel helpless and think this might be a place to take your kids if you just didn't know what else to do. That's just a, right. an ignorance situation from back then. They yeah. just didn't know. Unfortunately, not all of the uh, committals at this point in time were for the right reason. Here are a couple of situations that were not for the right reason. If you had a wife that had an inheritance and you wanted access to it, you could just bring her in, have her committed, and now you've got access to whatever now money see, you've got. Now, see, that just pisses me off. See, Ninja even agrees. That is <laughs> bull crap. Tired of dealing with a troublesome child? Drop them off. Because you know the sad thing about here? There were no age limits. Oh, no. Yeah. No age limits at all. I can't even imagine doing that. So now you've got all these people that had no problems mentally or physically that are now mixed in with a bunch and of then people they, that yeah. did have problems. And then they come, they, if they ever do come out, then they, they have, really do have issues after it, probably. I mean, my gosh, they're like, dang, why are you just dropping me off in here and leaving me? People were committed for masturbation. Well, honey. Fits, desertion of husband, laziness, reading novels. What? Reading novels, superstitions. I mean, can you believe all this stuff? I mean, why is, I mean, I shouldn't point out masturbation, but why was, I thought that was a good thing. Now, most of these, I don't really understand. It blows my mind. But here's one that I do kind of agree with. Menstrual derangement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can almost see that myself. Being a woman, you know, I know we get a little bit cray-cray, but dang it, that's the most, well, that's a terrible word to say. Almost said insane. That I am so sorry. I did not even want to say that because these reasons are so beyond ridiculous that I'm going to punch you in your face for saying it. What'd you say? I mean, they've got, look, here's a couple of them. Asthma, bad company. Bad company? Bad company. Band? No, I don't think it was the bad. Bad whiskey. Well, I'd be bad. I'd be mad if I had bad whiskey. Bite of a rattlesnake. What the heck? What? Business, business nerves. Carbonic acid gas. No clue. There's a. Well, who is the idiot? I couldn't even read. They came up with all this. Jealousy. You could be put in there for jealousy. I mean, think about that. I mean, who decides that? Who decides that? A man. Oh, that's who did it. A man. Pretty much, yeah. Milk, milk fever. I don't know what that is. What the hell's milk fever? I have no idea. What? Who's making this stuff up? Nymphomania. You could be put in there for. This is so, thank the Lord I wasn't born until then. All right. So, <laughs> I know, my God. I know. 
I mean, literally everybody that I know would have been in there for one reason or another. Reading this, there's four pages. Worth everybody. Of, everybody. Everybody. And, and you know what the ironic thing is? Masturbation is what keeps me sane. Oh. <laughs> Hello, folks. Anyways, so let's move on. What's more disturbing about the reasons that you could get put in this place is the fact that there were so many children in there that they needed a whole floor to have a children's ward, which was on the second floor. Wow. That's a lot of kids in there. That breaks my heart. That's really bad. Let's go find those kids. We'll love them all. So I guess you got to ask yourself the question of what kind of life, what kind of hope, what kind of joy could a child have at a place like this? I mean, maybe in the beginning when they didn't have a lot of people, you know, and the intentions were set forth the right way in the beginning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe they were, but not as the population started climbing. You know, God only knows how good or how bad life could be for some of these kids that spent their entire life here. I mean, even just the beginning of your parents giving you away or putting you there, and you don't even know why. And we're going to talk about some of that, too. So today, you can hear an occasional voice mm-hmm. or laughter of children, even though the place has been closed down since 1994. Mm-hmm. In some cases, it's even been recorded, and we're going to talk about a couple of those. We'll put a little special attention on the most famous ghost that they have, which is a little girl by the name of Lily. Lily. No. Whatever. Anyway, so the hospital had three cemeteries, thousands of burials. Thousands. Think about that. Thousands of burials. Well, I mean, it was around for 160 years. Right? Yeah. Well, true. Most of these are in unmarked graves. Mm. Death was not an uncommon thing at Trans-Allegheny. Most of the deaths, though, were from disease and uh, mm-hmm. epidemics and stuff like that. There were some murders, though, that happened there. Jeez. There was a nurse who went missing and was discovered months later. Months her body was stuffed under the back staircase. <gasps> what? First of all, that's going to tell you how bad it smelled in that place. Oh, my gosh. How would you not notice that? I mean, you've got a, a rotting body Aww. that's been st- stuffed under a staircase. I, I think the staircase was inside. I don't think it was yeah. an outside staircase. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. You know. That happened to you. So then you got another case that where a patient stabbed another patient 17 times. He bled out trying to crawl to the nurse's station. Oh, my gosh. And they asked him about it. He said it was an accident. Oh, what, he fall on the <laughs> knife 17 times? What? I'm just kidding. Oh, my that. God, that's terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, where were these people? I mean, I know there are, like, two, so many people in there, but you you can't tell me nobody saw somebody stabbing somebody 17 well, times i imagine you could stab somebody 17 times in less than a minute and it could take a minute to get from this place was huge so wow. there may not have been somebody there in time mm. just look at prisons mm-hmm. they're watched over like crazy and look how many things happen there I know. So. the most horrific murder though wasn't that long ago this happened in 1987 mm-hmm and HIPAA laws were in effect, so we can't really give out names and stuff like that because it wasn't made available with this being a hospital. Yeah. They couldn't just release the names. But even though details are a little sketchy, what supposedly happened is one account says that two patients killed a third by brutally beating the third patient to death. What's the point of that? Well, that sounds bad. Well, yeah, it is bad. It's not as bad as the full story. <laughs> That's the Reader's Digest version. I hope Reader's Digest don't sue us that. They're not relevant anymore. They ought to be happy anybody's talking about them at all. I liked Reader's Digest. Liked. Keyword. Here's the, uh, the main account. They said that basically they grabbed the victim. They beat him till he was unconscious. Then they tried to hang him with bed sheets. That wasn't working. So they drug him to a bed. It was one of those big metal beds. Yeah. They lifted it up, put his head <gasps> underneath the post. Don't. Please don't say it. And they crushed Please his don't say skull it. under the bedpost. Oh, my god. And they gosh. didn't just do it once. They did it over oh, Jerry, and over and over. that's so awful. No. Oh. When they asked the ringleader 
why he did this. He said that he was taking up all of his oxygen. Oh, my gosh. So is there any wonder that a place like this would have so much paranormal activity? Yeah, this is just awful. Thousands of people were dumped here just like garbage. Several of these patients chose suicide as their only way out. So you've got that. They said depression practically seeps through the walls here. And by the way, these walls were like two and a half feet thick. So you couldn't hear people to answer your question. You can't hear people through them, whether they're crying, whether they're happy. They were made that way for a reason. So it's almost a soundproof type building if you're outside of the room that they're in. So, yeah, you could probably get away with murder and not even know it. Man, that's just so bad. Guards and visitors say they can feel the spirits here. And it's as if some spirits just stop by on their way to somewhere else. And then others are trapped here for eternity. As horrible as the living conditions and the treatment of the patients were, that's not the worst of what I've got to tell you. What the crap, man? (laughs) The worst thing to go on here was the ice pick lobotomy. And we've talked about that before on the show. Uh, Dr. Walter Friedman, who made his name by doing these... um, full frontal lobotomies that he perfected after learning about it in another country he perfected it here in the u.s and a matter of fact if you want to hear more about him go listen to stat with Mm -hmm. uh, karen wickham because she did like a three-part story on him Mm -hmm. he did so many of these lobotomies he traveled from place to place to place doing this that he called his car the lobotomobile it's catchy it is catchy but wow so if you're unfamiliar and haven't listened to a previous episode where we talked about this, the ice pick lobotomy was a very crude procedure. It involved using a sharp instrument, such as an ice pick. Sometimes it had one prong, sometimes two prong. It was driven through the orbital socket of your eye into the brain with a sharp blow. This caused permanent damage, thought to uh, relieve some of the uh, patient's more severe symptoms. In 1952, Dr. Freeman did 228 of these lobotomies in a two-week period at Trans-Allegheny alone. Oh, my God. He must have been working 24-7. Well, it didn't take him long, if you've ever seen a demonstration of his procedure. What kind of sick individual does that? Like, seriously. I mean, and, and this guy took pride in it. I mean, I mean, it's just hard to fathom that... We won't get into too much on him, but I mean, his story is fascinating from a standpoint. I mean, he was doing parents. He was doing... He, people would take their wife in. that They weren't insane. It's just, I uh, seem a little bit depressed. Here, let's do this. Or kids that were hyperactive. He did one on, I think it was a 10-year-old little boy because he was hyperactive, basically. So uh, he was... He didn't care. He was a hundred bucks a pop. That's about what he got. So just think about that. He was making a living off of destroying people's front brains. All right. So let's imagine with what we've just heard, you would think there's going to be some pretty good ghost stories to come out of this. Mm-hmm. And we've got a bunch of them. So let's start with the most famous resident spirit here, Lily. We talked about her briefly. According to tour guides, Lily likes to talk. Mm-hmm. Her room is the most popular area of the hospital. That's where everybody likes to go. Her room is on the um, corner of the fourth ward, up in the, the very back corner. And it's between Ward 1 and the Civil War section of the hospital. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I find it odd that her room, because she was a kid, is on the fourth floor when yeah. the children's ward was on the second floor. I wonder what that, what that was about. We need to try to look into that, maybe. Uh, no. You said no. <laughs> I've looked into enough on it. Oh, it's where her room is, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I don't I know, know if I'm going to find anything. I mean, I think maybe that's just a room because she shows up everywhere. Uh-huh. So I don't know why she's got one certain room unless I just designated it that. The staff there have turned her room into kind of like a little shrine for Lily. It's got all kinds of dolls. It's got toys. It's got mm-hmm. balls. and That's nice. It's got a special music box that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff is in this room. That's pretty cool. So just who is Lily? That's a good question. Legend has it that she's a little girl who spent most or all of her life here at Trans-Allegheny. 
Some say that she was one of these drop-offs that we talked about a little bit earlier, and others say she was born here shortly after her mother was committed. She died of pneumonia when she was nine years old. After she passed, this is the only home she's ever had, so she just stays here. Mm-hmm. Lily's the most active spirit at the hospital. They said that she likes to play games with visitors. She likes to reach up and tug on her dresses or uh-huh. tug on her pants, and she also likes to reach out. She's no stranger mm-hmm. to uh, anybody, so yeah. she likes to reach up and grab their hands. What a sweetie. Just to kind of hold their hands. The staff has become extremely close with Lily, and uh, some of the guides uh, like to go out of their way to make her feel special. They, they talk to her every single day. That's great. Her room is bright, cheery yellow, but the peeling paint kind of reminds you that Nobody's lived here for yeah, quite for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And then when you look up and see the bars in the window, you kind of really get shook back to reality mm-hmm. on what it must have been like here to be basically a prisoner Yeah, in this what was supposed to be a hospital. Now, one of the toys in the room is a pink and white music box. And it's got a little miniature ballerina on it. It plays a, a little lullaby song when the box is opened up. But sometimes it just decides it's going to play on its own. Mm. And it's got to be wound up. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And that mm-hmm. that's going to tie in a little bit to a story that Nick told us oh. a little bit later without even knowing that we were going to talk about oh, this. Oh, awesome. Eerie. We mentioned she's got all kinds of toys and stuff scattered throughout her room, and that's more or less an invitation for her to come out and play. Mm-hmm. Several of these items have been moved on their own or in response to a command. Lily likes to roll the ball back and forth with uh, visitors yeah. you know, coming there. So it was during one of these times that Lily can be her giggling like when she's rolling the ball and stuff like that you can hear her giggling and it echoes through the halls sometimes <laughs> she laughs so loud oh very nice because the tour guides have this bond with with lily they demand that anybody that comes in there has respect for her they won't let anybody make fun of her they won't Good. make anybody be sarcastic with her any of that Aww. it says that lily remembers frequent visitors so if really? they're there a lot she interacts with them in very specific ways. Aaron Solzer, he's a paranormal investigator. He says that he's been out there like 12 times. And he's got a favorite game that he likes to play with her that it involves the music box and a flashlight. So he takes and sets up the flashlights in several different places of the room. Uh-huh. And then he'll ask her questions after he gets the flashlight set up and he uh, turns the little key for the music box, gets mm-hmm. it all wound up. He starts asking her questions, and she will answer through the music box and the lights. Like, for example, the lights will dim mm-hmm. when the music box starts getting low and it starts slowing down. Oh. And when he speeds it up, then all of a sudden the, the lights get bright. Work on bright and on full speed. So that's kind of a cool little thing that he does with her. It happens so much and so regular during the session that he doesn't even dispute there's no possible way that it couldn't be her. yeah so yeah he said that uh he he always gets a positive response out Aww. of her and, the, and that correlation between the flashlight and the um music box means means that without a doubt she's happy to be communicating how fun so what facts do we know about lily and what her story is based on not a whole lot but in 2010 a psychic by the name of tammy wilson She's the one who first discovered that there was a small child in there named Lily while she was on a tour. So that's the first that anybody really put mm-hmm. a name to it. Said the girl was nine years old. She was wearing a white dress. So that's where we get the age and everything from. Said the little girl said that her mom's name started with an E and that her mom's family was a prominent family out of England. They were over here for some reason. And when they brought her to the hospital, she was already pregnant. Then they told her, that her mom, rather, that her parents were killed in a car accident right after they left her, so they were never coming back to get her. Oh, my gosh. So Lily was born there at the hospital, at least according to this story. Both Lily and her mom lived the rest of their life there at the asylum. Mm-hmm. Patient records from the 1920s show that there's a patient that arrived pregnant with the first name E. Mm-hmm. Of course, HIPAA rules and laws they can't yeah, yeah, you divulge can't that. There's a local historian by the name of Shelley Bailey. She says that she's taking toys and stuff in there, 
candy. If they leave candy in there, like on a chair, it disappears. Aww. See, I wish we could do that. That's so amazing. Well, this is really a cool part of the story. So she said one time her and a couple colleagues went there, and they took a box of Cracker Jacks, and mm-hmm. they set it on the sink. And she says that it started spinning. There's no wind or anything in there. The box of Cracker Jacks on the sink started spinning. Uh-huh. Then it fell into the sink. Uh-huh. She said you could hear it bouncing around back in the sink. And then you could hear like a box opening. Uh-huh. And you could hear chewing. <gasps> crunching. On, on, <laughs> but the Cracker Jack was still in the... The box of Cracker Jacks was still in the sink. Yeah. And it hadn't been opened up. Oh, my gosh. But you could hear her chewing and everything. And they had somebody that was doing some recording there at the same time, some EVPs. And they went back and listened to it. It said very plainly, thank you for the snacks. Oh, are you kidding? Mm-mm. Why don't, why don't if we could find that? Oh, I'm, it's out there. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, I've, man, that's I've, amazing. I've seen about three or four different instances where they all said you could hear it really plainly. I love her. <laughs> So, Shelly, the same girl, she said that she also had the, the two people came with her. They were playing a game of catch with her with a ball. They had this plastic ball, mm-hmm. and they would roll it, and then it would roll back to one person, and then that person would roll it, and then it would roll to the other person. <gasps> and they said this went on for like 45 minutes. How fun is she? So, there's another story that says that Lily's uh, mom is actually a lady by the name of Gladys Ravenfield. Mm-hmm. Draped by a bunch of soldiers back in the 1800s. They brought her here, and she pretty much had lost it from this point in time. She sat in a rocking chair and just went back and forth and back and forth for several hours after they brought her in like a robot. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out she was pregnant from this situation. Mm. She gave birth to an infant girl who survived only a short time. So that's one story of who they think Lily is. Wow, that's so traumatizing for her. And then there's a couple other variations of, of the Lily story. What's the truth? Who knows? Is it a myth? Is it a, It's a mystery. Not really sure. There's several different EVPs, though, that point out that it's a blonde child and that she's still living there today. Mm. So between the EVPs, between pictures, yeah. between uh, sightings of her, that's what everything is based true, off then. of. She sounds like a cool kid. So we mentioned briefly that there was a Civil War wing. This is the oldest part of the hospital, and it's sometimes referred to as the veterans area. There you can see the spirit of a patient named Ruth. Ruth's kind of a bitch. Uh-oh. Yeah. She likes to hang out in the hallways. She's violent towards men, and um, she likes to throw things at them. Ruth loves to slam people into walls. You just be walking down the hallway and get slammed into a wall. That's Ruth. <laughs> I told you. That's kind of funny. She's, I guess it's not funny, but she's it probably is. one of those that was in there for the uh, the menstrual. Oh <laughs> yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> then you've got the fourth floor, so it's mosey on up there. In 1935, a fire gutted most of the fourth floor hallway, and they said it's kind of creepy looking now because they were, instead of redoing it in concrete like the rest of the building is, they redid it in like this wood. It just makes it have a different look than yeah. the rest of the hospital. I bet. But that's also the uh, hallway that leads to Lily's room. Now, in the same hallway as Ruth, they've had people obviously pushed in the, in the stairs stuff, but they also hear sounds coming up and down the hallways, just footsteps mm-hmm. and, and banging and stuff like that. On the second floor in Ward 2, near the room that the guy was stabbed 17 times in, shadow men had been seen there. Just across that hall, you've got two patients who committed suicide. Um, they tried to hang themselves, or they did hang themselves, with curtain rods. So you, I don't know exactly how you would have done how that. How do you do that? I mean, I guess, you know, maybe the curtain rods were a lot sturdier or something back then. I'm not sure. Hmm. But they used that, I guess, to maybe use the bed linen or something. Yeah. A number of EVPs have captured Get Out from within that room where those suicides happened. Many people also hear their name called out while they're in there. I would be scooped so we could have your name called mm-hmm. out. On the third floor, there's a nurse's quarters. And there's some doors close to there that close, close by themselves. One of the tour guides claims that um, he saw an apparition of a nurse, but it was just like a really quick thing. Mm-hmm. Like five, five, six seconds, boom, it was gone. In the geriatrics hallways... There's more shadow figures. 
there seems like that's the most common place for the shadow figures is in the geriatric. And then they get a bunch of strange noises, a lot of moans and groans that are heard here. Across from geriatrics, that's where the most violent women were held. Once again, the probably the menstruation ward. That's what they should have just called it. People hear disembodied voices. They get footsteps. They hear screams. There's a ghost named Big Jim who's at the end of that hallway. Mm-hmm. You know, I found a lot of the names of ghosts and not a lot of reasons for who they were. Yeah. A ghost haunts this area as well by the name of Dean. He's one of the murders that took place there. Mm. It was like we talked about in the last show. I don't know how they figure out. Who yeah, these I don't were. either. On the fourth floor, Ward 4 is one of the creepiest of all the wards. Investigators have captured a black blob that is unlike anything they've ever seen there. They asked it on a spirit box what it was, and it responded, demon. Nice. (laughs) Oh, just a demon with hell. Yeah. And like Waverly, they've got a creeper. That's an apparition that crawls around on the floor, can crawl up walls, crawl on the ceiling. And uh, you can hear the sound of uh, like something banging on pipes whenever you're up on that, uh, in that same area there. There's a ghost named Jesse that also frequents the hallway and a ghost named Andre, mm-hmm. or Andrew, I'm sorry, that's on that floor. Mm-hmm. Bunch of ghosts. Now, the Civil War section, we said that was the oldest part. There's a ghost named Jacob. He's an apparition of a Civil War soldier, and he wanders aimlessly around the floor. People hear, hear whispering here like somebody's having a conversation, but there's nobody around, to, and you can't make out exactly what what's being saying. said. Right. And then you can hear also cries and moans, presumably from injured soldiers, because this was the old yeah. military ward. There is some bad malevolent spirits at this hospital, and they're usually on the upper floors. One's name is Stewfoot. Stewfoot? I have no idea why they name him that, but he's supposed to be a vicious killer. Mm. Not a lot of information on him. Mm-hmm. Another one is unnamed, but he runs around in the seclusion halls. What's more frightening than all these souls being trapped? Is the fact that they got to be in there with some kind of demonic or malevolent spirits. Yeah, so their craziness keeps going on and on and on and on and on. It's just like a non... Maybe craziness wasn't a good word. Well, I mean, mean, probably not. But to think about that you were in this place all this time when you're alive and now you're stuck with it in the afterlife. I mean, how horrible is that? Some paranormal experts think that this may have been... A place where demonic possession was taking place, even when the hospital was in full force. Because hmm. oh, you know we talked we talked before, and I can't remember the episode, and it might have been a Patreon episode, but it was something about when you have homes like this. It was it was the gentleman that was a Native American, and he talked about he he worked at a home that was mainly Native American orphans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have mental disabilities yeah. and stuff like that. And he said that he thinks demons and stuff prey on individuals like that mm. because, because they are a little bit weaker. Yeah, I'm, I can see that. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of creepy, but that is the story on Allegheny. Boy, that is a whole lot of sadness right there. It really is. It's it's very sad. Mm. Sorry you all had to go through that, peoples. Well, we're going to do this. We're going to do the uh, Patreons real quick okay. before we get to, to Nick's little interview. But uh, Matthew Gregory, thank you so much. Kate uh, Mentum, Deborah Kenny, and Jenny Sandrot. Thank you, guys. We appreciate y'all so much. I said that wrong. It's Sandercott. Sandercott? I thought Sandrot sounded really bad. No, that didn't sound good. Jenny, sorry. Jenny, Jenny you know how he goes. <laughs> But we appreciate and love you guys so much. We, we had a, you. we had a few reviews in this week, not as many as last week's. Mm-hmm. Really big discrepancy for whatever reason. <laughs> we got Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix are Fire. Tired. I'm Probably. sorry, I was talking while you said that. What? That's okay. You, I'm used to you talking. Phoenix me. Fire. Phoenix Fire. Dan, Dan Lever. Jen seven one two nine three. And X Rook X. Thank you guys. We appreciate you. So we're gonna listen to Nick, and this is another one of those little touching interviews. Mm-hmm. 
And we're going to end it with something probably inappropriate, which is um, Tracy had a little giggling. I screwed up, and I know y'all don't. I think it's physically impossible for me to screw something up, yeah. but I did. And she got on a laughing kick. Keep in mind, neither one of us had sleep in three days, so mm-hmm. we're delirious. And she got on a little <laughs> laughing kick, and I decided to cut it out, not use it in the regular show, but I am going to put it on as a little blooper at the end. So if you want a good laugh, I got to go out. Two minutes of uncontrollable laughing for you, along with my flub. So, but let's take a second and talk to Nick and um, talk about his baby girl. Guys, I am joined by Nick Hall, who experienced one of life's great tragedies approximately a year ago when uh, he lost his eight year old daughter, Brianna, in a horrific automobile accident that did severe injuries to his wife, Katie. And his uh, other daughter, Michaela, he had his uh, younger son in the vehicle, which luckily pretty much got out of the, the thing unscathed. But when anytime you lose a child, as uh, he did with eight-year-old Brianna, then that's every parent's worst nightmare. And uh, we brought Nick on, uh, did a little tribute uh, to Brianna last year. A lot of you will remember that. And then we brought Nick on uh, shortly after. He thanked everybody for the letters of support he was getting from all over the world. And uh, he reached out to me and said there were some situations going on, some occurrences that he felt like maybe she was reaching out to him as they come upon this year anniversary. And uh, I wanted to bring him on. Nick, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. I'm glad you Glad you had me back on. Oh, we're glad to have you back on. A lot of people have asked about you over the last year. They want to know how things are going in life right now. So this would be a great time to give an update. So you reached out to me, and you said there was some uh, some things going on. Tell me a little bit about what's been happening. Yeah, it's been there's been a few unique things go on. Um, you know, when I talked to you before on the show, we were living in Lexington. Um, and actually not long after I did that interview with you, um, you know, we just wanted to try to talk to her and we're both paranormal investigators. I've done investigations for years. So, you know, we knew EVP was a good way to do that. So we would just sit around at night when we were in bed alone and talk to her, you know, sometimes you could hear something, but this one time it was not only caught on the recorder but we actually heard it by ear um katie had said something you know about good night baby i love you or something to that effect which we do every night um and plain as day you heard in her voice her say mama and that just i mean it scared both of us at first and then of course we started crying and but there have been a few other things there's a jewelry box that my mom and dad she was really close to my mom especially, <clears throat> that somebody gave them with pictures of her in it um, as a kind of a present after the funeral. Well, several times she must like it because she nobody will be in the room, nobody will have touched it, and it's one of those where you have to wind it up and lift the lid for it to work, mm-hmm. and it'll just start playing. Let me tell you what's so odd about that story is you don't know this, obviously, because we're recording this before we record the show. But in tonight's show about the Trans-Allegheny Mental Hospital, their most famous ghost is a nine-year-old little blonde-haired girl. And her name is Lily. And one of the ways she likes to communicate is she has a music box that you wind up. And she likes to use that music box and, and play the music and use flashlights to communicate with the paranormal investigators. So that's kind of a cool coincidence that you would bring that up on tonight of all nights. Yeah, that is uncanny. So how is Katie and your daughter Michaela doing physically a year after the accident? Katie's probably about 80%, close to 90 maybe, of what she was pre-accident. Um, she still has, of course, you know, the aches and pains and especially with this wet weather we've had lately, she's really had to tough it out, but she's doing good. Um, and Michaela, physically she's healed about as much, 
you know, as you could ask for, but mentally it's going to be still probably a lifetime project of overcoming, you know, everything that happened to her as a result of the accident. I know right after the accident, Katie had to have multiple surgeries. Uh, Michaela, she had some major head trauma. So, I mean, that that's had to be a very long uphill battle to try to deal with. Yeah, it, it has, and, you know, it's it's going to be something we're going to deal with, if not physically, at least emotionally and mentally for the rest of our lives. Um, and then in Michaela's case, you know, she's going to have the added burden of mental handicap that she's going to have now um you know it's just it's impacted so many lives and we're actually um it's one reason why i wanted to come on um for anybody that listens in the area around where we're from on friday the anniversary of the uh, accident we're going to meet at the accident site um anybody that wants to come and we're going to do a balloon release and uh you know, the Chinese lanterns, we're going to release those in her honor. Nick, what kind of thoughts are going through your head as you approach the year anniversary? I'm sure a lot of this stuff that had started to distance itself a little bit now comes right back to the forefront as you think about it being exactly a year ago to the day this Friday. It is, and actually just today I just thought about this. I guess I hadn't thought completely through it, just dreading that day so much. Um, you know, as soon as, well, not as soon as, but several hours after we found out, I found out about the accident, up till, you know, weeks and months later, I was every day posting posts and pictures and stuff on Facebook, and now I'm going to have to see all that all over again. Oh, yeah. You know, for that period of time. Yeah. So it's going to bring up, you know, every memory just like it was, you know, two minutes ago. Yeah, those Facebook memories can be a double-edged sword. I mean, you look at some of them and it's like, oh, that's a great memory. I forgot all about that. But then when you've got a situation like this and it brings back all these memories of things that you're just not going to be able to see in person again, it's, you know, like I said, it's got its positives and its negatives. Well, I, I love it, though, because, you know, you see things from five, seven, yep. eight, ten years ago that you had forgot about until you see that poster, that picture, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, when this happened or that happened. I would think those memories have to be bittersweet as much as it makes you smile to see something like that at the same time, you know, it's a reminder of what you don't have anymore. It does. I just shared a post um, yesterday, actually, I think it was, um, from the Facebook memories from five years ago when I was taking Brianna at her first softball game, her t-ball game, hmm. and her just making a goofy face, you know, and then you see that and you remember that and you laugh and you smile, but then at the same time, I never get to see her make that face again, you know? Well, brother... Well, Nick, I know everybody out here will be thinking about you as uh, Friday approaches this week. You've got all of our thoughts, all of our prayers, and uh, all I can do is, is just tell you to keep your head up, brother, and, and it's going to get better. Uh, just keep staying positive. I know you have been. I know it's had its ups and downs. Um, I'm glad that the family is getting better physically. I mean, mentally, it will come in time. It obviously is not something you just get over. You know, so we, we all completely understand that. Yeah, you have to. She wouldn't want us to give up and quit. Nick, thanks for coming on and giving us an update. I, I know it's extremely hard to talk about something like this, but hopefully there's somebody out there that this give, uh, gives a little bit hope to that might be struggling with a situation like this, and hopefully seeing the way you handle things will make it a little easier on somebody else. Jerry, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Tell Tracy I said hello. I tell you what, they are some strong people because mm-hmm. I just I can't imagine having to deal with that situation. I mean, I guess when you're forced with it, you don't really have much of an option. But man, I know I don't. I mean, it's it's tough, and I can't say I know what you're going through because 
it's not happened to me but you know just know that her little sweet face and self is with you all the time it's your little angel and she's she's i'm sure she's by your side every day yeah we love you nick we love you yeah we do love you guys honey and uh, take care of your family guys we're gonna go ahead and jump off here if you we have this is the last week to get tickets for indianapolis come see us mysterious circumstances and out of the shadows podcast it's going to be fun it's going to be at uh scotty's brew house which is a cool restaurant lots of good burgers all kinds of craft beers come out and have a good time with us hang out with us real quick we didn't forget here's the blooper do one the seventh ohio in <laughs> I can't stand you. Come on. <laughs> oh my God. Help us, Jesus. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> do that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm sorry <laughs> hey hillbillies if you guys enjoy what we do here on the show every week and appreciate all the hard work we put into it consider being one of our patreon supporters all you got to do is go to our website hillbillyhorrorstories.com click on the tab for donations and you'll see the patreon link right there Click on it, and you can go to our Patreon page. Then you will have a decision to make. You can choose the $1, the $3, the $5, or the $10 donation. Each one gets you different things a month, but regardless, you get some free stuff. Just check out the bonuses under each tier, and you'll see what you get for free for that month, but you'll get something free regardless. Also, if you'd like to buy any Hillbilly Horror Story merch, you're also in the right place on the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just click on the store page and see whatever it is that you like. Click on a few links, send a little bit of money, and your item will be on its way. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. We love you, we thank you, and we appreciate you. <laughs>